Um, as we pray, this has been a, a difficult couple of weeks, uh, or a difficult 10 days. Um, and I do want to urge us uh, to pray for our nation, uh, to pray for safety for people. Um, and I especially want us to pray for the church, that the church might actually um, transcend left and right um, and all of the other uh, wounds, if you will, that exist within our country. Um, this is a great opportunity for us, and I think it's important that we prepare ourselves for it. I think I've shared this story before, but I want to open by reminding you of a story uh, about Stanley Harawas. We frequently mention Stanley Harawas here, and I was going to call him Saint Stanley, because uh, last week I, I thought Jake did a great job referring to Dallas Willard as Saint Dallas. Just rolled off his tongue like it's no big deal. Uh, I, we call Eugene Peterson Saint Eugene. It's almost, it's almost natural, but Stanley is still with us on this earth, so let's refrain from it. Uh, and also, we'll, you can decide whether or not he deserves uh, to, be, uh, to be sainted here at Wheatland or not. But Stanley Harawas is a professor and a theologian and an ethicist. And when he, he's famous for whenever he is invited to give lectures at various places, for opening his lectures by announcing that he is a pacifist. And then he, he then explains to everybody that he is announcing that he's a pacifist, not because he wants to persuade everyone to become pacifists, but because he is such a violent so-and-so that he needs the help of all of his listeners to hold him accountable to that claim that he's making for his life. Harwas would say, and I agree very much with him, that becoming a pacifist isn't the point of his exercise. The point he is making is that without accountability to a real community of people, we don't have a prayer at being Christian. Maybe we should announce that we are all Jesus-y, Bible-reading, Bible-loving Christian people whenever, wherever we go and whatever group we're a part of, even if that group isn't Christians. Because by doing that, it might help us live in accordance with our own story. I start here because on Epiphany, which by the way is January 6th to the rest of the world, um, uh, there was an insurrection, as they call it, at the nation's capital. We all know this, and I, I'm not going to rehash all of the events. But I do want to draw our attention to a sad reality that I think all of us have seen and noticed. And that is that some of the people storming the capital were Christian. And if that startles you, um, well, I hope it startles all of us. If you've seen pictures of the event, you have seen crosses and nooses next to each other. You've seen giant signs that say Jesus 2020, and you've seen gallows erected in front of the Capitol building. You've also probably seen the big Jesus fish, the ichthus, and those signs, along with people, other people who are wearing t-shirts that say Camp Auschwitz. Now, I would guess that all of us agree that this is a problem and I propose that those people who stormed the Capitol and who identify as Christians have somewhere along the way lost their connection with the story of Jesus, the story that we proclaim, and instead 
I would say that they've embraced an ideology where Jesus is merely a symbol and not a living person with a coherent history and story. And I want us to reflect upon that tonight. So let's, let's continue by praying together. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to both hear your story and maintain a commitment to it that we might stay close to you in word and deed and heart. Amen. Uh, since COVID began, I've been in a lot of conversations with other ministry people where we reflect on how the church at large is doing and how our individual churches are doing. Most of us agree that the church at large is suffering more than our individual churches are. Now, some congregations only meet virtually. Others are the exact opposite, and they are meeting together with not very many restrictions. Wheatland is in the middle of this, and I think we're doing pretty well considering. And while I don't love how we're doing things right now, I mean, I think we all understand that this is not exactly how we want things to be, how I want things to be. In spite of that, I do love the fact that we're doing what we are in light of the circumstances. And, and this is the most important thing, I want to just tell all of you, and I'm speaking to all of you here and all of you there, um, even though I can't see really anybody's face. Um, but I want you to know that I'm really proud of all of you. I'm proud of you for worshiping regularly. Now, don't stop and go, well, wait a second, I wasn't here this week or that week. Don't worry about that. You're here now. Um, and you've been worshiping regularly. Regularly. Um, I know this isn't easy. And I know it's difficult for those of you who have children, especially smaller children. But showing up, even if it's only on the screen, I think is a great act of faith. And I contend that it matters. And it matters more than you realize, more than you know. And I think by the time I'm done, I hope we'll play that out a little bit more. I want to stress two things that we do in our worship service here at Wheatland. We do a lot of different things, but these two are critical parts of our weekly life together. Reading of scripture, which we heard tonight, and the prayer of repentance. Now, I love the, the uh, one of my favorite uh, little sayings about repentance uh, goes like this. It says, if you see your neighbor's beard on fire, pour water on your own. Um, and I think this is uh, what we can describe as preemptive repentance, right? Um, because all of us have been in that scenario where we see somebody who has just, you know, uh, you know, made a mess of their life or have just done something really horrible. And a lot of us can see this friend or this person that we know and go, Ah, that really actually could have been me. That, that's a form of preemptive repentance. When we see that, when we see our neighbor's beard on fire, we pour water on our own. When we pray the prayer of repentance, which we do each week, we're seeking forgiveness and absolution for the sins that we have actively committed and the sins that we have inactively committed. The sins of commission for what we have done, that's in the prayer, and the sins of omission for what we've left undone. Moreover, when we pray the prayer of repentance and confession, we are owning the fact that we are capable 
of doing evil things. Even us, even us, we are capable of doing evil things. Things that would surprise us if we could only see ourselves clearly. Which is also why we pray the prayer of repentance, so that we can see ourselves clearly. Who of us can really see ourselves for who we are? When we pray the prayer of confession, we are, so to speak, putting water on our own beards. And while we are appalled, hopefully, by the behavior and the actions of some of our fellow citizens, at the same time, we recognize that without the Spirit of Christ and the regular disciplines of repentance, that we could have been those people. Maybe we wouldn't be doing it on President Trump's behalf, but we would do it on someone else's. We like to ride pendulums in our country. I think it's pretty much human nature. Now, of course, we derive this practice of regular repentance from the scriptures, which leads me to, to, to the second practice that I want us to think about, and that is the reading of scripture. Every week when you come to Wheatland, you will hear at least four different scriptures read, maybe more. And all of you know this. I'm not telling you something that you haven't heard before, at least if you've been here more than once. You've heard us talk about it a lot. Each week you'll hear a psalm, an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, and a gospel. And it's not the fact, we don't do this because we don't know what else to do with our time. We're not just trying to do filler here. We don't read long passages of scripture because we're afraid that a short worship service, uh, you know, that you would feel cheated. Um, we we kind of know, we know how that goes. Um, we're not just filling up minutes. We're not just taking up time. We're not also in competition with the Lutherans, um, who we all know take this a lot more seriously than we do, um, especially the Missouri Synod people. So, uh, and, and I mentioned the Lutherans because they're the closest church to us, just so you know, uh, just around the block. Um, now, regular repentance is a practice that we derive from the overall narrative of Scripture and the overall narrative of Jesus' life. The church, uh, the church year rather, outlines the overall narrative of Jesus' life as well, using time itself as the means of grounding us in the story of Jesus. We just came out of Christmas, the birth, the incarnation. Now we're in these early ministry years of Jesus' life. In a few weeks, we'll go into the season of Lent. And during Lent, we are recognizing the suffering, the journey to Jerusalem, and the journey to the cross that Jesus is undergoing. So again, the church here grounds us in this story. So we're unapologetic, unapologetic in this immersion in Scripture that we do here. I want, you to, I want to be clear with this, and I think it's on the screen for us. Reading Scripture by itself is no guarantee that we will be good people or act like Jesus. But we are guaranteed to not be good people and to not act like Jesus if we make no effort to embrace the story of Jesus found in Scripture. If we don't commit ourselves to it, if we don't submit ourselves to the story then we're guaranteed to get lost. Which leaves us, leads us to this important point, and that is, if we leave the story of Jesus, we have left Christ even though we go by his name. If we leave the story of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, born of Joseph and Mary, 
wandering around uh, Israel with his disciples, getting dirt on his feet, being betrayed, being crucified and raised from the dead. If we get away from that story, then we have abandoned Christ. Even if we have an ichthus tattoo, even if we wave Jesus 2020 flags or anything else, if we wear crosses, if we collect crosses, none of that matters if we leave the story. So when our Christian faith loses its moorings in the story of Jesus, we descend into something that is actively anti-Christian, Christ. So the people storming the Capitol may be Christians. This was a question that struck me. I, I thought after last week's sermon, how many of these people were baptized? It was just last week I said that the most important, the most determinative thing about us is our baptisms. Well, how many of these folks were baptized Christians? They may actually believe that Jesus wanted them to do what they did, and more of them may still, but they are wrong. They may be our sisters and brothers in Christ, but they're profoundly wrong. So wrong that I think their actions place their souls in danger. And again, one source of this wrongness is that they have failed to maintain or to remain moored to, connected to the story of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus. It's the story of God found in Israel, Jesus, and the church that guides what we do. That is what gives us the ethics by which we live. Now, Oh, okay. Thanks for being speedy and knowing what to do. Um, so we read these every week, and I encourage all of you. And, you know, at last week I had my phone, and I held it up in a real classic dad move and smashed it on the camera to remind you that every morning this week, if, if you don't already have a way to read Scripture on your own, go to Wheatland's website, wheatlandmission.com, advertisement, scroll up, and you'll see uh, the readings for that day, four readings for every day of the week. So some people might say, you know, Jesus was violent. Um, you know, there's the whole story about the money changers, which comes up just after our reading for today. But I think when people say that, and, and I think, I know I've been tempted to do this as well, I think it only in, illustrates how they're misunderstanding the whole narrative of Jesus and just taking one little piece. They may refer even to the times when Jesus talks about buying a sword or saying that two swords are enough. 
And I don't want to be tacky, but I think in these cases, people aren't good at reading what Scripture is saying in those events. We pull out this thing where Jesus says, if you don't have a sword, you better get one. And we can't appreciate the beauty and value of figurative language or language that has a lot of layers to it. In the end, with all of these stories, in the garden, Peter pulls out a sword and knocks off the ear of a guy named Malchus, probably trying to split his skull. Malchus was part of the guard, the temple guard there to arrest Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He heals Malchus and tells Peter to put his sword away and says, if you live by it, you're going to die by it. So again, the reminder is we cannot know Jesus apart from his story any more than we can say that we know one another and then not know anything about what happened to that person previous to this day. We all have stories, we all have histories. We have to stay close to the story and history of Jesus. Not to stay close to one part of the story, but to the whole narrative that includes the Old and the New Testament. That's why we read about Eli tonight. Who cares about what's going on in Eli's life? We should care. And his story should mold us a little bit. When we forget the story of Jesus, like I said early, earlier, we don't idolize him, we ideologize him. And I'm not sure if that's a word. But that is, we make an ideology of Jesus. We turn Jesus and our Christian faith into this ideology rather than letting it be this living, breathing organism that's made up of the people that God has redeemed. When Jesus becomes ideology, we may feel like it's okay for us to carry a sign with a Jesus fish or shout Jesus 2020 and then in the next minute turn around and kill a policeman. And this ideologizing of Jesus doesn't just take place on the right. It takes place on the left. It takes place in the front and the back. It takes place everywhere. It's not unique just to one side of the political spectrum. When Jesus becomes a mere symbol without a story, then we wave flags and wear crosses and we take the Lord's name in vain. And I don't mean that we cuss. I mean that we attribute God's blessing to our ideologies instead of the story that we're a part of. So that was the introduction. Now I want to talk about, I'm just teasing. Um, I do want to bring us back to the scripture in John chapter 1, just for a couple of minutes. Our gospel reading tells us the story of Jesus calling his disciples. We've heard this story before. We know it. It is the story where Jesus gathers his disciples, tells them about the dangers of Rome, establishes a training camp where they can work to overthrow Pilate's rule. He teaches them how to scale walls of fortresses, and he teaches them how to kill the enemy without making any noise. And he teaches them how to send covert messages. Okay, that's not the story, is it? Of course it's not. We know this, and I'm grateful, I'm grateful that we know this. Although a couple of Jesus' disciples, Simon the Zealot and probably Judas Iscariot, would have loved if that's what Jesus was about. Instead, this one part of the overall story of Jesus' life 
reminds us that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we're going to be fishers of humans. That's how the NRSV says it. Let's break convention for a minute. Fishers of men, it just sounds better. Fishers of people. The point, the big point here is we are going to live for the sake of other people. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we're going to live for the sake of others. We're going to love and serve them. And in so doing, we will love and serve the Lord. We will love and serve the Lord. And at this point, I think maybe I should remind us, one of the reasons that we're wearing masks in here in the room, one of the reasons we're still appearing on Zoom, is that part of our Christian faith requires that we care about the other. I said part. Our Christian faith is about serving, loving, and caring for the other person. And this is our attempt at doing that. Maybe we've knocked it out of the park. Maybe it's a horrible foul and somebody caught it. Look at that. It's a sports reference. But um, hope you're proud. Baseball, even. Um, But that's part of why we're doing what we're doing. And even though we can't gather fully, as we gather both online and in person, uh, we're serving the world and serving God. So Jesus meets his friends by the sea. He turns them into his students. Their lives are changed. They grow. And at the end, at the end of the story, they're still tempted by the power of violence to protect that which is most important to them. They've had two and a half years, maybe as much as three years. And in the garden, they're still tempted by the value and power of violence to protect what is most important to them. But this is not the story. This is not how the story of Jesus goes. And that's why Jesus heals his enemy and tells his disciple to put his sword away. If we don't stay close to the story of Christ, then we're going to do like his disciples did. And we're going to start to confuse that which is part of Christ's kingdom with those things that are not and those things that are clearly not. And we can learn to discern those two things by spending lots of time knowing, immersing ourselves, reading again the story of Jesus. Not just the four Gospels, but the whole book, Old Testament and New. Let me wrap up by bringing us back to the idea of repentance again. Staying close to the story of Jesus requires regular repentance. We saw it in Peter and the disciples as they continued to mess up, and they messed up over and over again. But you see, repentance means that we accept God's account of things. You might be familiar with this passage of Scripture. In 1 John chapter 1-9, it says that when we, are, when we sin, um, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he's going to purify us from all unrighteousness. That little word confess in the Greek uh, means, is in the Greek, it's homo legeo. And if you were to translate it real literally, just transliterate it, it basically, you basically come up with something like, say the same thing, speak the same. Which means to confess our sins is essentially saying, we are saying the same thing about them 
that God is saying. To confess, therefore, is to accept God's account of us. It's to bear the difficult but always good news that God is right. Which takes me back to the story of Eli, just briefly. I feel bad for Eli. He has two sons that aren't worth nothing. Um, Maybe it's Eli's fault, I don't know. But Eli is the priest of Israel. He's growing old. And this young boy has come to the tabernacle and is living there with Eli. And this young boy is dedicated to the Lord. Hopefully he will become like Eli in time. And he's listening as he's laying down at night. He hears the voice of God. But the little boy doesn't know it's the voice of God. So he's going back and forth to Eli. And after the third time, Eli realizes, this kid's not just annoying me. God must be speaking to him. So God speaks. God speaks to Samuel. And Samuel comes back to Eli. And Eli, and and Samuel has been told that Eli's priestly line is going to die. It's going to end. Because he's no good anymore. And Eli tells Samuel, don't hold anything back. You tell me what God told you. And Samuel tells him. Eli says, this is in verse uh, 17 of chapter 3, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide from me anything of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I don't know that Eli is repenting in that moment, but I do know that Eli is accepting God's account of things. He's in trouble, but he's okay with that. He would rather know the truth of who God is and what he plans on doing than to fool himself any longer. And for us, this act of repentance is similar to Eli's acceptance of what God is saying. Repentance is accepting God's account of where things stand and where we stand with them. So scripture, reading scripture aloud and praying the prayer of repentance, those two things are never going away at Wheatland. I think we're going to need them until this whole shoot match is over. I'm not, I'm not sure what that will look like. And I'm sorry that I used a, the idiom of a shooting match in a sermon where we're talking about violence. But as long as we gather together, these are going to be things that we do. It's going to shape us and mold us more and more into Christ-likeness. Over time, we will recognize that we're growing in all the ways that we need to. We're going to be becoming more patient, more kind, more sacrificial. And I hope, and this is a huge one, I hope we become more wise. All of us become more wise. So Stanley's pacifism, as I mentioned earlier, is not the point. Attaching our ethical and moral life to Jesus the person, and not just Jesus the name, is the point. And critical in getting there is our regular worship in an accountable community. Now, when it's all said and done, you may look at me and you go, but Paul, what are we supposed to do? Can't we get on social media and solve this or something? I'm glad you all left. Um, What can we do? The world's falling apart. But I want us to listen to uh, Stanley Harawas answer a similar question. We are the church. We are one part of the church. And shouldn't we as the church have an impact on the world? Um, This next clip, uh, or this next uh, passage, not passage, but quote, if if we can get it on the screen, um, 
It begins with this phrase. He says, for the pretensions of human authorities and the potential excesses of our own love of nation can only be held in check by the recognition that God limits all earthly claims to power. And then what we have on the screen, only a community that recognizes the worship of God as its first task can form genuine virtues and hence form people capable of genuine service to the common good of the societies they inhabit. Let me summarize it real quick. If we want to be of service to the world in a crazy, horrible time like this, let's worship God well through repentance, through reading scripture. If you want to change the world, first show up here. First show up here. And we will become the kind of community that's not fooled, that's not fooled by ideology, but that is captivated by the story of Jesus.